0: Well good morning everybody. My name is Nolan Benny. I am the youth pastor here at Wayne Fleet and I'm very excited for the opportunity today to bring you God's word. Let's jump in because it's a great story that we're going to look at today as we continue our series Long Story Short. Today's story we're talking about the story of Ruth and it's a very interesting story how it talks about righteousness and how we ourselves should pursue righteousness. That being said, I want to ask you a question before we even get into this, because we got to establish a few parameters, I guess you could say, before we go. And it's a two-part question I want to ask you. And it goes like this. The first part is, what is righteousness? And are you a righteous person? Well, here, before we jump into our story, let me give you a little definition about what righteousness is. Based off of a New Testament kind of translation, we get a few different meanings for the word. And it goes like this, these meanings. So righteousness in the New Testament equals doing what is right, seeking justice, the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards, or even the state of being in proper relationship with God. Wow, there's a lot of intense meanings behind that one word, right? Now, I want to jump back real quick and look at that question I asked you. Are you a righteous person? It's a pretty straightforward question, I would say, if we understand what the word is. So are you a person who does what is right or a person who seeks justice for other people? Um, Are you in agreement with God as a person? Now, if I ask you that, it can be really easy to just say, sure, I'm a good person, relatively. And for those of you who have grown up in the church, you probably have heard that conversation from people your whole life. They say, I'm a good person, and, then, and they don't really maybe look at the full picture. Well, if we're honest, myself and you, I think we're a little biased when we give our answer to these questions. You see, we go through a process in our minds when we try to explain our character to someone else or just define it to them. Where our internal voice in our head, it goes through this process of trying to figure things out and usually comes out biased in the end. Uh, That can be biased in making us look better than we are to someone else or biased in maybe we're more negative about ourselves than we should be. You see, the reason why we're talking about this is because if we want to be righteous people, authentically honest, righteous people, as what we learn in God's Word, it's very important. Um, It actually shows up 482 times, at least in the Bible, uh, both directly and indirectly, this Term righteousness. I did a quick search and you can look it up yourself. But if we want to be actually righteous people uh, within our communities, our families, um, our church family, then we need to be honest about the fact that we are biased people when it comes to viewing ourselves. You see, some of you might say, Well, Nolan, I don't know. I think I'm pretty authentic in in how I view myself. And you might be right. I, I don't know. But if I was to ask the same question, are you a righteous person, or am I a righteous person? Um, if I was to ask it to a family member though, in your in your house, what would they say? Or if I asked that same question to your coworkers, what would they say? Maybe you'll get a different answer, right? What if I asked the person at the gas station that you interacted with, or the grocery store, or... Uh, Fill in the blank there. What would they say about you? Would they say that you're a righteous person, even a good person from your interaction? Would they say you're a godly person who seeks justice for others? You see, this isn't about guilt. This is just about having an honest conversation of how we can move closer to what God's calling us to be. Trust me, I get it wrong all the time, but I think we need to be willing to embrace healthy, authentic conversations about these topics if we want to be who Jesus is calling us to. All right, so we've had a conversation about righteousness, what it looks like, and to start looking at ourselves. Let's look at the story of Ruth, though, to get some examples of what it means to actually be righteous in the world we live in. It's a crazy world, and so we need some good examples from this crazy world of how to walk that out. So here we go. So Ruth when we say the story of Ruth, we're meaning the book of Ruth because it's only four chapters. It's a little too much to read in one sermon, so don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. But it's the perfect amount if you want to read it tonight, uh, maybe instead of watching TV even. Wink, wink. It's, it's a story that will keep your attention and will help you to maybe ask some healthy questions about your own life. So let's give some background now into this book. Now, the book of Ruth probably occurs within the time period of the first generation being born in Israel since the conquest by Joshua. So we know that that occurs around uh, this time period. And so we can say this pretty authentically because uh, in Ruth 1.1, we see that there is a line that says in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So why do we think it's within that first time period? Well, We've learned from the story of Gideon that there's a major famine that happens in the land around that time period, which is pretty close to the beginning of Judges. And uh, we know that they would probably reference this famine in the the land in the book of Ruth, not only because it impacted the characters, but it was probably a major uh, social situation that occurred, a natural disaster that was big enough to reference, even in a story, outside of Judges. Now, we also know that... Uh, This probably took place around this time period because one of the characters, Boaz, is referenced in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 as being the son of Rahab. Some scholars debate if it means son or ancestor. You can pick and choose what you want, but we do know that roughly it occurs within this time period at the beginning of Judges. Now, we have some characters from the book of Ruth that we should highlight to kind of give you an understanding of who they are before we introduce them. The first character is Naomi. Now, Naomi is an Israelite from the area of Bethlehem. She is a Lemuel's widow. She's also the only surviving member of her family by the end of chapter one. And what I mean by surviving family is blood family. She ends up losing both her husband and her sons uh, within the first chapter of Ruth. Second character is our main, main character of this whole um, story, and that is Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite, so she's not an Israelite. She's a foreigner when she goes to Israel. She is kind of like a a long, distant relative, but because she is the descendant of Lot, who is a nephew of Abraham, Uh, but it's kind of distant by this point. So they still look at her as being a foreigner or someone coming into the land that is not an Israelite. Uh, She is Malon's widowed wife, and Malon was the first son, we think, of Naomi, making Ruth Naomi's daughter-in-law. Next, we have Orpha, and she is Kilion's widowed wife. This Kilion is the brother of Melon, So this means that Orpha is also a daughter-in-law of Naomi. Um, the difference, though, is that Orpha returns home, whereas Ruth stays with her. Lastly, we have Boaz, and he is a rich relative of Naomi uh, living in Bethlehem, and he is what's known as the Kingsman Redeemer for Malon and Ruth. So here we go. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 sets the stage. As I said, Ruth one explains the time period and the setting. We also see in the first chapter, though, that as a result of the famine, Elimelech and Naomi leave their home in Bethlehem and become refugees in the land of Moab. They go to Moab to find food. And while there, Elimelech dies. That's pretty tough to kind of think about in that time period to lose the, the main provider of the home. But uh, On top of that, what also occurs is that um, Elimelech's sons, both Malon and Kilion, both die as well about five years later. So it's a little ironic, though, if you understand a bit more of the context here uh, and the names of these characters and their passing. So we have that uh, Malon and Kilion, their names actually mean sickness and destruction, which is a little tongue-in-cheek if you ask me. But even more, what's interesting is that Uh, Elimelech's name means, my God is king. That in itself is so symbolic of the book of Ruth. It's kind of like saying, without you knowing it, if you read between the lines, that God is king even when we can't see it or when we don't know it. Wow. If we move along though, we see as a result of losing her family, Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. And it's at this point, that we see our first example of righteousness in play in the lives of average people. And it's from Ruth uh, chapter one, verse eight, it goes like this. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back home, each of you to your own mother's house. May the Lord be as kind to you as you have been to my sons who are now dead. May the Lord give you a happy home and a new husband. When Naomi kissed the women goodbye, they began to cry out loud. He said to her no we want to go with you to your people but naomi said my daughters return to your own homes why do you want to go with me we're going to jump down a bit here and go to ruth one thirteen to 17. my life is much too sad for you to share because the lord has been against me this is naomi talking the woman cried together out loud again then orpha kissed her mother in law naomi goodbye but ruth held her onto her tightly naomi said to ruth Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her own people and to her own gods. Go back with her. But Ruth said, don't, don't beg me to leave you or to stop following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. I ask the Lord to punish me terribly if I do not keep this promise. Not even death will separate us. Wow, oh wow, oh wow. This passage is so, so powerful. Here we can see the character of a righteous person, and that is that they are a person who is willing to go the distance with someone in need because of love. Now, let's throw some perspective into this story. I don't know about you, but growing up, I remember hearing a lot of people make jokes about mother-in-laws and maybe how difficult they could be. Now, I can't say I agree with this because my mother-in-law is great. So, that said... It's interesting to see here, uh, within our context to so their context, uh, that this is how Ruth treats her mother-in-law. Now you could argue, well, maybe Naomi was a nice mother-in-law. Well, I don't know about that because this is a difficult time in Naomi's life. Let's be honest, she just lost a majority of your family. So I could probably argue that Naomi wasn't the most fun person to be around all the time. Um, yet despite this, we see that Ruth is willing to give up everything to go with Naomi. While we usually reference the fact that it says your God will be my God when Ruth makes that statement, uh, I think that Ruth is doing this more so out of the love she has for Naomi. She wants to right the wrong in her life and to look after her because she's lost so much. That is an unbelievable thought because honestly in our context most people would be hard pressed to even just have a dinner with their in-laws. Never mind leaving their entire home and where they are to go all the way with them to a new place to live to support them now this sounds a little intense i get that but bear with me I, I need to make it in a way that we can understand it in our context okay so let's go let's fast forward a bit and go on to chapter two now naomi and ruth return to bethlehem in chapter two And Ruth begins to collect remnants of grain in the field of a man named Boaz, so that her and Naomi won't starve. They have very little income, if anything, and they need food, uh, especially after their long trip. And so we see our story picks up here, where Ruth has an interaction with Boaz, Um, and this—it's in this interaction with Boaz that we see some interesting things occur. The first is that. Uh, This is actually a major reference to a passage in Leviticus 19, 9 to 10. And that is the Levitical laws dictating how people are supposed to help those who are poor and in need and the widows. Uh, So you can see a practical way that that uh, law was enacted in real life in Israel in ancient times. That said... We also see our next moment of a righteous character pop up um, when Ruth encounters Boaz for the first time. And it happens in Ruth chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. And it goes like this. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, do not gather grain for yourself in another field. Don't leave this field at all, but continue following uh, closely behind my women workers. Watch to see which fields they go to uh, to cut grain and follow them. I have warned the young men not to bother you. When you are thirsty, you may go and drink from the water jugs that the young men have filled. Let's jump down a little bit more just to get more of the context of what's happening here. Uh, so Ruth chapter 2, 14 to 16. It goes like this. At mealtime, Boaz said to Ruth, come here, eat some of our bread and dip it in our sauce. So Ruth sat down beside the workers. Boaz handed her some roasted grain and she ate until she was full. She even had some food left over. When Ruth rose and went back to work, Boaz commanded his workers, let her gather even around the piles of cut grain. Do not tell her to go away. In fact, drop some full heads of grain for her from what you have in your hand and let her gather them. Do not tell her to stop." This is pretty cool. So what we see here is that Boaz is actually going to go above and beyond the Jewish law in in Leviticus 19, 9 to 10. He is not only just offering his field so that the poor people, the widow, could come and pick up the grain uh, that's left there, but he goes way beyond that. See, in our context, this would be like, you pass a person on the street who's asking for money who's homeless. And not only do you just give them money, then you say, let's go up for lunch and I'm gonna order extra so you can have the leftovers to bring home. And you know what? I'm gonna go one step further and I'm actually going to give you a part-time job to provide for you until you get back on your feet. That's crazy. I mean, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's done that in my life. Now, there's probably some people out there and for those of you who've done that, good, good for you. I need to learn from you. But uh, this is so intense, what Boaz does. And what's even more intense about this, because some people would cry in our day and age, he's probably got some you know, intentions here. He's got his own desires that he's trying to do. He's you know, twisted and in secret intentions. That's not the case. We know that because it actually references when Ruth asks Boaz, why are you doing this? He says, because everyone's heard how nice you've been to Naomi. You see righteousness, true godly righteousness enacts righteousness from other people. It, it spreads like, you know, like a wildfire. It just, it, it infects all these people with the goodness. I mean, in our day and age, we talk about all these things, even with COVID, about, you know, all the risk of the infection. But the reality is, is that good things like righteousness, we need to be teaching other people and helping them to catch this idea and to spread that. We, we aren't doing those things as much, I would say, today. Sometimes it can be easy to say, well, somebody else will take care of it. Or, uh, you know, there are programs for those people. You see, Boaz doesn't tell Ruth to go to, you know, go to where the Ark of the Covenant is to get help or to do anything like that. He says, I'll do it. I'll help you right here, right now. And I know because I know your character. He spends time with her to know her story. It's an amazing, amazing thing he does. And let's jump down a bit more though, because there's another instance where uh, some righteousness occurs here. And that is the fact that through the process of getting to know Ruth and Ruth getting to know Boaz... Ruth pursues Boaz as being her king's redeemer. See, Boaz, once again, doesn't have the intention of just wanting to marry Ruth right off the bat or whatever, and that's why he's kind to her. He allows her to exist and to be sustained from his resources. And it goes further that when Ruth pursues Boaz to be her, the redeemer for her, uh, we see that Boaz goes above and beyond again. So uh, what is a king's redeemer, though? Because I've been saying that a couple times throughout this, and I'll explain that right now. A kingsman redeemer, basically, uh, it is a right that a male Israelite had to redeem a dead male relative's uh, rights. So let's say you're in Israel and you're a male and uh, your cousin, uh, who's a guy, passes away and he's married, but he doesn't have kids. And he also has some land. Well, you can purchase the land, but in doing so, you also would then be married to your dead relative's wife. It sounds a little weird in our context, but the goal here was to make sure that the dead relative's name continued. See, you don't just get the land; you you have to provide an heir. You have to give up your firstborn and their namesake for the sake of the person who passed away. See, this would be like in our context, uh, and uh, maybe stretching it slightly, but. It would be like me and my wife having a child our firstborn and giving that child away to a relative because they couldn't have kids and that child would grow up with them and they would get their name and we might know of the child and we might even still take care of the child for that sake uh, for their sake but in an essence when they get married uh, you know their name would continue on if it was a boy or whatever it's 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 ludicrous to us to think about this sometimes that this would be a thing because we love our children and we we want them to uh to carry on our own family names or what have you and that's what boaz does though he is willing not for his own sake but he is willing to give up the rights of his own name to right the wrong in ruth's life that is mind-boggling that he does this he's willing to do this and we know that this was such a big deal because when it's actually referenced later on, um, when, he, when Boaz goes through the process of redeeming Ruth or becoming the Kingsman Redeemer, uh, the actual relatives who was closer to Ruth to be the Redeemer first, he's interested, you kind of get this idea that he's interested in redeeming the land, but he's not interested in, in the whole giving up his name, his child's name for the sake of Malon who passed away. Yet Boaz does it. He's willing to go the distance on this one. And it really makes me think about how someone else gave up their one and only son for our sake. You mean, I mean, in this story, uh, I see so many things that reflect Jesus. And it's no surprise to me that in the story of Ruth, we see, uh, well, sorry, from the story of Ruth, we see, uh, that ends up coming out of it, King David Solomon, these very famous people throughout the Bible. And if you go down the line even more, it's from Ruth's line that we actually see the Messiah Jesus come through. I mean, wow. This is such an amazing person and people and what they do and what they're willing to give up. You see, after reflecting on Ruth's story, I would say that I am a, it is astonishing to see what God can do with just a few willing hearts. I mean, it's through the willing heart of Ruth, who is a widow foreigner, who probably has very little knowledge of God, and this man, Boaz, who is a wealthy man, uh, but he pursues righteousness by giving up his resources and uh, giving up his right, his, the right to his own child, uh, to right the wrong in this woman's life. That is how they pursue righteousness in their context. Right, they give up what they have for the sake of someone else. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I read this story, it is hard for me not to see uh, reflections of Jesus in their lives. Throughout the book of Ruth, it's not overtly obvious uh, that God is at work in the story because we don't see big miracles occurring necessarily. Uh, I mean, I don't see any you know seas parting or uh, burning bushes or anything of that nature. Uh, But it's evident that God's Spirit's powerfully at work in the lives of these average, willing people. This isn't a story, once again, of forbidden fruit or miraculous fleece or a queen stopping a genocide. These are all stories we've gone through this summer. It's just a story about regular people trying to live as God would call them to in the midst of hard social, economic, and political times. I understand that this is easier said than done sometimes to pursue righteousness in our lives. But if I'm honest with you, I say that because I, I know it. Things are more complicated than I make them out to be sometimes in this right now in this sermon. Uh, people are frustrating. People are annoying. If I'm even more honest with you, this is our, even for example, this is my second time doing this sermon because the first time messed up. The audio didn't work. Life isn't perfect and it's messy. and And we have to learn how to walk out these examples of righteousness in our lives in the midst of This world we find ourselves in. What's more beautiful, though, is that we can see from Ruth's story that it's possible, even in the midst of all this. And so I want to reflect on this in the midst of uh, the passage we opened up with today. And I want you to think about uh, the Beatitudes that we're going to read through again in light of Ruth's story, because I never, ever thought about this before until now. But it is so powerful how these line up. And it goes like this Matthew 5, 3 to 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy, and blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God, or sorry, pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, and blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As you go today, reflect on your life, and don't take the word of your internal voice to just say, ah, I'm a good person. Ask other people about how you're doing and, and reflect honestly on your life. And to see if you are a righteous person, if you're pursuing righteousness. It's such an important topic in this day and age that we should engage in. And, and I honestly think that we as a church would be better off if our focus is more on righting the wrongs from other people, pursuing justice for those who are hard-pressed by others. There are so many people in need in this world for us to pursue righteousness for. And I want you to take a moment this week And maybe not debate about what righteousness looks like. You know, the way that I interpreted righteousness throughout this passage, uh, throughout the passages in Ruth, you might interpret them a bit different in that, and that's fine. But don't worry about debating about that stuff. But instead, seek this week to right a wrong in someone's life. You might have a relative who's going through a tough time. Seek to help them out. Go above and beyond. Even when it's not necessary to replace, them. and don't try to seem self-righteous, but pursue righting the wrong and seeking justice and for their life by laying down your own rights. Pursue them not out of obligation, but out of love. And I honestly can say that God will be at work in that situation, and He uh, will show His love through that.